Hello and welcome to Michigan and Other Mayhem, the show about Michigan, murder, mysteries, histories, and other mayhem from around the world. Your hosts are Allie and Jen. Okay, Jen, let's do this thing. Hello? Hello. Hey, Jen. What's going on? You know what I'm going to do? Play our music. Yes. Cue Big Pockets music. Dun, dun. All right, you were on to me. <laughs> so we, probably should have, we probably should have just pre-recorded that. You know what? That probably would have been a good idea. <laughs> you know, it's not too late. Technology is available. We can rebuild him. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, I've been playing Pokemon Go instead of smoking. I have not had a cigarette now since June 1st. I'm proud of you. Thank you. But I also have no sense of direction, and I've gotten lost a couple times in neighborhoods that are around me because they're very confusing, and I don't know why people would make a neighborhood with roads that don't lead out. I don't get it, but um, I'm now burnt to a crisp a little bit on my shoulders because I got lost. (laughs) It's just like, finally, I'm like, at one point, I'm like, how did we get here? (laughs) <laughs> oh my! Yes. So the game should have a place where you can backtrack. Yeah, well, it does show you like streets and stuff. So I, I always feel like, well, we'll just cut into this neighborhood right here. You know what I mean? Just go a couple streets. Well, then something happens, and I just get immediately turned around. And at one point, I'm with your brother, and I'm like, I'm like, I think we should turn left. And he's like, No, we should turn right. Sure enough, we get out to the street. If we would have turned left, we would have gone like farther from home. <laughs> it was the exact opposite way. I was leading us away. <laughs> is is this a game you play with other people you know? Um, well, my sister and other people play, but I mostly just walk around by myself every time I want to have a cigarette. I grab my phone and start walking around. Now, sometimes your brother comes with me on the weekends, and sometimes he does it after work. He'll walk with me. And he's the one that actually kept us from, you know, probably dehydrating and dying on the sidewalk today. Oh, my God. <laughs> and thank goodness he, he brings a hat so he doesn't get his head burned. But uh, I'm, I'm dumb. Well, you know, when that game first came out, I remember people, like, walking into the street and getting hit by cars and junk. Okay. Um, that would be me. That's another reason why I have your brother with me. And when it's just me and the dog, and let me tell you, at one point, the dog looked at me like, bitch, do not make me go outside. <laughs> because he was just tired of walking around but um i usually yeah i'm worried i would be the person that would walk into traffic so far i haven't i mostly just stand still is what i do i try to stand still off the sidewalk so that people can pass me i don't want them to have to you know try to go around me i'll stand off in the corner which is i think how consequently your brother and i for the first time in our entire lives found ticks crawling on us I think it's from me standing aside on the sidewalk while we wait for people to go by. It's horrifying. There's a lot of bad stuff that comes with quitting smoking. Yeah. Well, your brother, you know, hates the outside and the outside got on him. That's bad. Bad news. (laughs) I like the outside. He does not like the outside. It is bad news for us that the outside was crawling, was crawling on his skin. It was not good. Right. Are you winning the game? (laughs) Um, well, you don't really play against anybody. You 
Well, you know, at certain points you do fight other people, but I think I'm doing okay right now for a beginner. And I, I'm doing really well at Tiny Rally for a beginner because, you know, I am trying to quit smoking. So I'm constantly outside. I think that if I wasn't trying to like replace one behavior with another one, I wouldn't be walking around as much. And, and, the, and the dog is exhausted now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you better be thinking about what your next game is going to be because at some point you're going to get sick of Pokemon. True. Always. But my sister Cassie has been playing for like a year and a half now. So things happen. <sighs> so tell me, what are you here to talk about? Um, this Netflix series that I've been watching okay. and it's called Trial by Media. Okay. And it just so happens I'm watching it and bam, I, it's actually the first episode. Happened in Michigan. Didn't even realize it happened in Michigan. Like really? I remember this. This is the one of the talk show murders. Okay. Oh, like the Jenny Jones one? Yep. Okay, I am so old that I remember when it happened in real time. I remember like, when it happened, but I didn't know it was in Michigan. Um, okay, I didn't realize that until later on when I was an adult, you know, with recently, I would say. I do remember it when I was a kid it happening. I, yeah, like you said, I don't remember it being in Michigan. But I do remember watching the show and then later on, <coughs> you know, them saying that someone was killed from the show. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. You go ahead. I was just gonna say all I'm gonna talk about is the wild uh, Upper Peninsula back in the day, back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. People be killing each other up there. It was probably a big massacre. Um, this time not so much. I did do a disaster last time, and this time I'm doing people that are being offed one by one usually. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, you want to go first? Uh, I can go first. I don't care. Either way. I'll let you control that. Oh, my gosh. All right. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. So this comes from that book that I read called Murder in Michigan's Michigan's Upper Peninsula. See, that's how I knew it was a sure hit. (laughs) Just the title alone, right? And it's written by Sunny Longtime. And it's Sunny, like S-O-N-N-Y. Okay. I've got two stories, and the first story I'm going to tell you about is this dirty dude named Daniel Dunn. He's a, a like a real asshole. I so knew here's, somebody with the last name Dunn. Were they an asshole? I don't know. Okay. I was like, we'll see. We can see if it's a common trait, like maybe a genetic issue. But yeah. in nineteen in 1890. Daniel Dunn left Roscommon, which is a village in the upper portion of lower Michigan, and he moved to Saney, or is it Saney? Okay, so when I read it before, it said that it's pronounced Saney, but then I'm talking to Scott, who spent a lot of time up there, and he said it's Saney. Well, you know they have their own language. Yeah, so it's like, so now you're going to hear me switch between the two because I don't know what to do anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So he moves to Saney or Saney after a warrant was issued for him in the Lower Peninsula, you know, in Roscommon. And then Daniel pays this old man to go to Roscommon and burn down his bordello there for the insurance money. What's a bordello? 
Um, it's a whorehouse. It's a whorehouse and a bar. Okay. Usually. Okay. Like usually the bars on the first floor, the ladies accommodations on the second floor. So he combines his, so the guy does burn down the bordello. He combines his insurance money. And then he also borrows some money from this dude. That's like a pharmacist, like druggist kind of guy. And he opens up a bordello in Sini or Saini, right? And already nobody likes Daniel in this town. Apparently he's a real asshole. So this, the man who let Daniel borrow the money, the druggist, that pharmacist guy, mm-hmm. he's not getting paid by Daniel. So finally he goes up to like Sini or Sani and he says to him like, you know, here's, you know, you owe me the money you need to, you know, come with it. So Daniel's like, look, I've got some land and I think I might be able to, you know, get some money off of it. It seems to have some resources. It's, you know, out by the swamp. Why don't you come with me? We'll go look at it together. And when the guy goes to look at it with him, the town rumor has it that he shoots him in the back of the head and then throws his body into the water. And the guy's body would actually be found months later with a bullet hole in the back of his head. But Daniel was never charged with the murder. Because there was nothing to tie him to it? Yeah, well, actually, later on, I will speculate that I think that he was either like a paying off the judges or the sheriff or b maybe he had like some dirt on him maybe because he he was just this is all speculation right i'm thinking maybe because he owned the bordello he knew like the judge liked to play slap and tickle on tuesdays and he's like hey man if you let me off i'll let you play slap and tickle on tuesday thursday saturday for free you know what i mean i think that he's paying for paying them off in some way or he has goods on him like he's like i'll tell everybody you play slap and tickle and you lose yeah. your job <laughs> so that's those are my guesses that's just me guessing but I, because he this is not the first time he's gonna dodge a murder charge all right so this yeah. asshole yeah the old man that helped him burn down the first bordello in Common was last seen going out to the swamp with daniel and then never seen again so once again there's somebody that dies but no real proof to say absolutely it's him. And at the same time, there's another bar in the town that was owned by these six brothers and their name, their last name, their surname was Harcourt. And in June of 1891, Steve Harcourt, he was about 20 years old at the time, goes into Daniel's bar to get a drink. And people don't know why they're like, maybe it was a dare. I don't know. Maybe because he's young, he was trying to like swing his dick around or something. Nobody knows. Steve and Daniel start to like verbally spar with each other and Daniel gets really pissed and he hits Steve in the head with a whiskey bottle, like even getting so hard that glass goes into his head and Steve goes down. And even though that happens, Daniel pulls a gun out from behind the bar and shoots Steve Harcourt in the face, which weirdly enough, doesn't kill him. (laughs) Right. And despite his injuries, despite his injuries, Steve does manage to get his gun out, but at this time the shot goes wild, right? Because he got hit in the head with the bottle. He's been shot in the face. The shot goes wild. Daniel then shoots Steve again, and he shoots him this time in the stomach. And Steve manages to like stagger out into the street, and there he runs into his eight-year-old nephew, probably traumatizing that kid for the rest of his damn life. Right. Because, yeah, because the nephew helps get Steve to Steve's mom's house, And he dies there a few days later from the injuries. So finally, somebody does take Daniel in. 
and he is arrested for manslaughter and he's brought to this court in Manistique where he was then cleared of all charges. That's why I was like, what does he have on these people? <laughs> you know right. I mean? So his actions were considered self-defense. And I was, I just call bullshit because Steve's like on the ground. He's half conscious from a head wound. He's been shot in the face. And when he pulls his gun, when Steve pulls his gun to me, that's the self-defense. Like you just got shot in the face and someone beat you over the head. When you pull your gun, that's, you're the one with self-defense. Right. crazy. Yeah. So he, at this point, he's dodged the warrant in Roscommon. The two people that went out to the swamp with him and never came back. And the Steve Harcourt kid, those are like four things that he's managed to dodge. So he gets <laughs> off, he gets off, yeah, he gets off of all legal charges. But he's afraid, though, one of the other five Harcourt brothers is going to, like, revenge murder him. And the Harcourt brothers were known for being, like, super loyal to each other. And they really were planning revenge. <laughs> so he's not wrong. And Daniel went to the authorities and he had what at the time was called the keep peace warrant placed on the brothers, which is like a PPO or protection order, personal mm-hmm. protection order. And he leaves, he decides he's going to go to St. Ignis um, to get out of town to let the brothers calm down. So the five brothers go with the sheriff, Dennis Heffron, to, Ch- to Trout Lake. They're going to switch trains there and they're going to head to Manistique because they're going to go to court about the keep um, peace warrant. And while they're waiting, the Harcourts go to this tavern to have a drink. Daniel Dunn and his wife were on the second floor of that tavern because they were waiting for the same train to Manistique because they were going to go to Manistique and then St. Ignis. And those guys were going to go to Manistique for their court charges. The reason why they had court charges is because Daniel Dunn, you know, charged them. So Daniel sees the brothers on the first floor. He grabs his pistol. Jim Harcourt, one of the brothers, sees Daniel pull his gun and he gets the drop on him. And he shoots Daniel four times, once in the heart. And Daniel falls dead on the tavern floor. And then, yeah, good. Jim hands himself over to the sheriff immediately. Like, literally, immediately hands himself over. Jim's trial for the murder of Daniel was held in Sault Ste. Marie. And he was sentenced to seven and a half years in Marquette State Prison. When When the judge asked Jim if he had anything to say for himself, Jim replied, quote, I'm sure that Dan will not kill any more of my brothers, end quote. <laughs> I was like, right? oh, he is not remorseful. Yeah. Jim was released from prison after serving three years due to good behavior. And I think since Daniel was the town asshole, Jim was welcomed back to like Saney with open arms because Jim was pardoned later on, pardoned by the governor. Then he was elected township supervisor. Then he was later um, elected deputy sheriff. And then later elected as a conservation officer. So, yeah, so nobody was mad at him. You know, I was like, nice. Uh, And they they didn't they were pretty lenient on people back then. I know. Well, I think they must have wanted that Daniel dude dead. And they're like, "Uh, yeah, that's fine. (laughs) Once it happened, I was like, I don't know. That's just me guessing. I just guess that the reason why everything was cool and easy was because he was the town asshole. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now I have another story that takes place during the time when they were striking. There was the union strike that we talked about in the Italian hall disaster. This Mm -hmm. murder takes place at the same time. So, yeah, Painstale is a small community in the Upper Peninsula, and it's just south of Houghton. And on December 7th, 1913, 
a home was ambushed ambushed with a man that was actually shooting through the walls and managed to kill people shooting through the walls. When I found that, I'm like, what were these walls made of? Like tissue paper? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. But apparently, um, they actually were thin walls, and he had a very power. They had very powerful guns. So yeah, the, ho- yeah. the house was um, owned by Thomas Daly. He owned a boarding house, and he rented to mining immigrants from England. And it was a split house where the second house was attached to the first house, but they're two separate houses. And the Ada Nicholson family lived in the second home with both the parents and five kids between the ages of three and 16. And there were two brothers with the surname Jane, like a girl's name, J-A-N-E. And they rented this room upstairs. So on that, that night in December, on December 7th, around two in the morning, someone began to shoot at the house and the bullets like went through the wood plank home. That's all it was with wood plank. It hit one of the bullets hit Thomas Daly in the head and he lived long enough to ask his wife, quote, can't you do something for me before dying? And I was just like, I, I bet you she had nightmares for the rest of her life. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was like, yep, that's nightmare shit right there. And the two Jane brothers, they were sleeping next to each other in bed. They were also shot and killed. One bullet, bullet so it goes through the wall, strikes Arthur in the head, and keeps going on through his head and also hits James in the head. And kills them both, the two brothers, one shot. Damn. Yes. The bullets also went into the Nicholson's portion of the home. Two bullets hit 13-year-old Mary Nicholson. One grazed her head and another, like, lodged in her shoulder. And the other Nicholson kids barely escaped being hit. And there were bullet holes through their pillows. They, like, hurried up and dropped to the floor. And the Jane brothers, they had just come down from Canada to work in the mines despite the fact that the workers were striking. And this is the strike that lasted from 1913 to 1914. And so tensions were super high in the area. And it was believed that the Thomas Daly had been shot because he was housing scab workers. They're also known as line busters back in the day. And the four men responsible for shooting up the house and murdering the people were also members of the WFM, which is the Western Federation of Miners. That's the one, the union we were talking about in the Italian Hall disaster also. Okay. Yeah. So John, and I'm going to mangle their names because these are European names and I have a horrible American accent. Are you ready? Yeah. <sighs> John Hutta, Hum, Halmer, Halloinen, John. All right. Oh, God, help me. John Jintunen. Okay, those guys were from Finland. They were either from Finland or they were Slavic. While Nick Verbanic was from Australia. And they were angry at the men that they called the Cousin Jacks, which were the English miners. And that was because, remember, the English miners, they got paid more. And they were also breaking the strike, the strike line. And so the Daly House was boarding five English immigrants. And that's why those guys decided to shoot at the house. Or the four guys. The four men walked up to the woods just outside the Daly house and they were armed with, I think it's called 30 at 30 bullet rifles. I mean, I looked up what type of bullet it is and it's the type that you use to hunt bear and moose. So it's some, it's some big shit. And they shot into the home. They killed the two brothers. They killed Thomas Daly and then they wounded Mary. And this pitted like the English people against the Finns and the Slavs and like tension was super high. And John Huta Huta, ends up confessing and his trial was set for 1914 in Marquette and his lawyer claims 
that the other guys put him up to the confession so they could get the reward money. Like they said, hey, John, um, we're going to say it's you, but don't worry. We're going to back you up. We're going to get you out. We're just trying to get the reward money. And once we get the reward money, we'll get you out. We'll split it all ways. And he turns himself in. Everybody's like, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So they don't have to split the money. So Huta also claimed that the union officials pushed him into the attack. You know, they got the guys all agitated. And now they're refusing to accept responsibility after getting them all worked up and sending them over to the house. And despite all that, he's still found guilty of first degree murder and he's sentenced to life in prison. And he dies four years later in 1918 at age 28 in the Marquette branch prison of tuberculosis. Now the crazy thing about that, his sentence had been commuted from life to 10 years and he was scheduled to be released in 1924 or 1924 if he had not died. So yeah, so he could have gotten out, but he died of tuberculosis and murder charges for the other three men were dismissed. And the conspiracy charges that were against the union were also dismissed. So the only person that went down for it was that John Huda guy. Hmm. Yeah, that's it. That's what happened. That's crazy. Yeah. Tell me about your stuff. So in the TV show, it talks about the murder of Scott Amador, A-M-E-D-U-R-E. Okay. He was age 32 from Lake Orion, Michigan. Okay. In the murder case for Jonathan Schmitz. And and it talks about how the talk show played a large role in this murder. But, of course, they deny that. They say they don't. So, on March 6, 1995, Scott, Jonathan, and another friend were on the Jenny Jones show. Jonathan knew it was a show to reveal someone who had a crush on him. Okay. And it could be male or female, and he didn't know which it could be. Uh, You know what? I think, though, he was probably hoping for female. Not that it makes any difference whatsoever. You're not allowed to kill people just for, (laughs) for no reason. But I, yeah. think, I think that he was probably thinking it was a chick. I'm just guessing. I would think he would be assuming it was. Yeah. But, nope, it was Scott. Uh. So Jonathan was said to be embarrassed by what was shown on the show. Oof. And this was because, you know, as you watch the the episode of the talk show, Scott's telling the audience about fantasies he's had about Jonathan. Eek. Yeah. And they were kind of risky, risque. Risque. As you watch the episode, they go into what led to Jonathan breaking breaking down and killing Scott. Yeah. And how Scott was leaving him suggestive notes at Jonathan's home after the show. And then after receiving these notes, Jonathan purchased a shotgun, drove to Scott's home, left the shotgun in the car, confronted Scott about the note, then went back to the car, because obviously Scott said something he didn't like, got the gun, got the gun and shot him. Okay, now one of the things is, and I also remember, and I think one of, not, not, you're not, so so you cannot shoot people for any reason, but one of the things I think that 
exacerbated the situation is I remember the audience too being like, you know, the one guy would be like, I had dreams about you. And they'd be like, whoa, and stuff like that. Just like getting everything pumped up extra. You know what I mean? Getting emotions going. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I remember those talk shows back then and they, yeah, they were all like that. Yeah. Sensationalizer. You're trying to get people all jacked up. Yeah. And so when John, after Jonathan shot Scott, he actually called 911 and told him what he did, what he did. Wow. So the murder trial happens. Of course, he, Jonathan's thing was that he wasn't mentally stable. That you he's know, not he, mentally stable? Yeah, that Jonathan at the time wasn't mentally stable. It affected him being on the Jenny Jones show. He was embarrassed. You can't kill people because you're embarrassed, though. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So he received 25 to 50 years for second-degree murder in 1996. Wow. And then later on, and this was funny, hearing this guy's name, Jeffrey Figer, because I remember when I was younger, like he was on all the billboards. There was tons of commercials for that guy. You remember Jeffrey Figer? Oh yes, I do. I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And he's actually in the documentary. Really? Or the TV show. Yeah. Does he look like maybe he would look now or like he did then? No, he looks the same way he always looked. Okay. Okay. It's weird. So in 1999, Jeffrey Figer was hired to sue the show on behalf of Scott's family. I because... do oh, do you want to know something? I can confess. I read Jenny Jones' autobiography, and she talks about this. Really? Yeah. It was, I and guess, how... really stressful for her. And she wasn't comfortable with the idea of, like, ambushing people like that. And then when it, you know, went down sideways, uh, that it was really stressful for her. And I think not too long after this, wasn't her, didn't her show go off the air? Yeah. Yeah. But yet, but yet she continued to do it. Yeah, I know. But she talks about how uncomfortable. Yeah, you're right. You can say it doesn't matter if you're like, I'm really uncomfortable with stabbing you and you're still stabbing somebody. Doesn't matter but, if you're uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Like, and so it's, it's your show. Yeah. And you're doing it and you're choosing to continue to do it when you could just say, no, you're not doing it. True. True. But instead you want that paycheck. Okay. You're making points. You're making points. I'm hearing you. Okay. Yeah. So they said it was, you know, they were suing the Jenny Jones show for their ambush techniques and their neglect you know, their neglect that ultimately led to Scott's death. Mm. So their follow-up, you know, after the show. Yeah. You know, ultimately knowing that you're, this guy's saying stuff that somebody may be uncomfortable with. Okay. You know, and you're allowing that person to say it on TV and... True, you're exposed, you're putting them in a bad situation. I get what they're saying. So Jenny Jones Show actually lost being told to pay $29 million to the family because they intentionally caused unpredictable situations and shared no concern for their 
show guests. Uh, I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't remember that they lost. Yeah, me neither. So never will I go on a talk show. I know that's too much. You know, didn't your brother? Your brother dated someone who had um, cousins, first cousins on a Steve Wilco show, which is some high level crazy stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Think I don't know if that show's still on the air. Do you know if Steve Wilco's show is still on the air? I don't think it is. Okay. Well, when it was, he knew somebody it- on there. I don't know if any of those kind of are any of those kind of talk shows still out there. Um, no, I don't know. Now that you're saying it that way, I don't like, know. are there any talk shows left? Not that I can think of. I think they're more like news shows nowadays, and what we would consider talk shows back in the day are the, like the late night shows now, where guys are the hosts. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> All right, Jan. Thank you for sharing that with me. I forgot all about the end part. Well, you're going to have to go on Netflix and watch this. I watched all of them. Oh, did you? Yeah, there's it's it, it's interesting. Like, I do. It's an interesting series. I do like that kind of stuff. Yeah, so get on binge watching. I will get my shit together and I will binge watch. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. I'll talk to you later. Talk to you later. Bye. Okay. Contact us at Anchor or Michigan and Other Mayhem at gmail.com or on Facebook to join the conversation, listen to the podcast, or correct us when necessary. Rate and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast provider. Bye-bye now.